0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name's Laura Watkins. I'm usually the producer of this show, and I can be found far away from the mics planning the show and writing the show notes. But for this International Women's Day episode, I've been given the chance to bring you some insights from some interviews I did at Innovate Finance's Women in Fintech event. I spoke to some fantastic women from across the industry about how they got into the fintech and financial services space, where they see the industry going, what's on the horizon, and what can be done about the gender imbalance in the industry. First up, I spoke to Rachel Kent, Global Head of Financial Institution Sector at Hogan Lovells, who told me about her first experiences with fintech. She had a refreshing perspective on what is typically a male-dominated industry and how she had never seen being a woman in what could be described as a man's world a limiting factor. However, her eyes have been open as she continued her career. Let's hear from her now. I am here with Rachel Kent, Global Head of Financial Institution Sector at Hogan Lovells. Uh, Welcome to FinTech Insider. Thank you you for joining us today. Um, We are at the Innovate Finance Women in FinTech event, uh, which you you are a sponsor of, or Hogan Lovells is.
1: Actually, Um, we're a strategic sponsor of Innovate Finance generally, but uh, this for us is one of our absolutely key events in the calendar.
0: Okay, so starting off with yourself personally. You've got uh, a huge wealth of experience in the financial sector.
1: Um, Could you tell us a few highlights? Indeed, well, I have been at Hogan Lovells for 25 years, um, almost. And for all of that time, I have been a financial services regulatory and transactional lawyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So lots of um, my work has been uh, business as usual, if you like, launching products, giving people advice on how to comply with regulation. Um, but of course the financial services industry has had a few bumps in the road, um, some not so good and some much more positive, so I guess the not so good. Um, I remember very vividly advising ING on the acquisition of Baring's when bearings got into financial difficulty, um, a sort of precursor, if you like, to the um, financial crisis and, and one that thankfully didn't spread. Uh, but still quite a high profile um, and stressful job. Mm -hmm. Coming to the other end of the telescope, I guess, and looking at um, more positive bumps in the road, uh, I also remember, having been here for 25 years, I remember the sort of FinTech revolution the first time around before anyone even coined the phrase FinTech. Um, So we had a few colleagues and I had a very exciting time launching what was then called EGG, so, you might not remember AG, but AG was the first ever internet only bank. So, it really genuinely was uh, a precursor of FinTech. Uh, that had, it needed a banking license, it needed to be established, it needed products, it needed collaborative relationships with others. Uh, so, we worked on uh, all of that. So, you were kind of there at the very beginning of FinTech. I was, and amazing it was as well. It was definitely a precursor because I remember on the day of launch, I was supposed to go for a meeting with the general counsel, but it had been so wildly successful beyond anyone's imagination that anyone who entered the building got put on to answering the telephone. Uh, So we all had to answer the telephone to people who wanted to open an account and take their telephone number and promise to call them back later. And after my shift, as I would call it now, um, I came back to my office and I had 17 voicemail messages from fellow partners asking me if I could get them an Ag bank account, um, which would be amazing enough uh, in any circumstance, but Ag's branding at the time was to be very young and hip. It had chosen its colours to to um, attract the young, dynamic customer, but no, no, they had lots of Lovell's partners, as it would have been in those days, uh, applying.
0: This sounds very Monzo before Monzo did it. Exactly.
1: We did it first. <laughs>
0: Um, So this this kind of industry, the financial sector, uh, has typically been a kind of male-dominated industry overall. Has that ever become a restricting factor? How do you kind of view that uh, in terms of your career?
1: I actually don't, um, or should I say, didn't regard it as a restricting factor. I mean, I've often thought about the concept of glass ceiling and so on, and certainly I don't think I ever felt that internally here, or indeed amongst clients, um, there have been difficulties because I have been a woman. Yeah. I think, on the other hand, there have been, I genuinely feel we still haven't got it quite right in terms of supporting flexible working, yeah. uh, childcare facilities that, you know, until men uh, take 50% of the responsibility for childcare, I think that's gonna remain a difficult issue. But that's not because people don't want women in the workforce, no. that's more um, sort of personal issue.
0: So the kind of willingness is there, the flexibility yeah. potentially yeah. is not.
1: And I didn't used to think, having spent all my career as a lawyer, which um, funny enough at the, at the junior end is not male dominated at all, in fact almost quite the opposite. We have a significant more, more than 50% from time to time intake of female lawyers, uh, but of course we do not have 50% female lawyers um, at the top. So. Uh, the more senior you get, um, the more male dominated it, it became. But I, I didn't really see why people said that that was an issue no. until we started having women's events. And even to this day, with all my experience, if I go into a gender diverse, shall we call it, um, event, I'm nervous, I, I'm, who am, I, am I going to know anyone? Am I gonna be able to speak to anyone? If I go into an all-female event, I don't think about that for a moment because I know I can converse with people like me on topics that we will find of common interest. And it was only when I had that experience in women's events that I realized that everyday life is like that um, in a male-dominated environment. So I've come to realize a bit late in life, I suppose, um, that absolutely it is harder for women for those reasons. If only for those reasons.
0: That that's a really interesting uh, perspective. So uh, Hogan Lovells are a sponsor of the event tonight. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important to kind of highlight the contributions of women, in particularly in this industry?
1: I, I think it's important for a variety of reasons. I mean, we we are told um, by our young women that they feel that they don't have enough role models. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm. I understand that and, and I feel very strongly that we need to remedy that, but I also feel very strongly that we can remedy that. Yeah. Um, That's I really mean, good. <laughs> in, in our sector, within Hogan Lovells, we have a number of very senior, I mean I lead the sector, the management uh, committee representatives that I report to as a woman and the head of sectors who I also report to as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot uh, of really strong senior women, it's, so for us I think it's more about getting the message out. Um, so you know, explaining that actually yes, we do have children, and yes, we did find a way, and yes, it is possible. So I think I think um, possible to find a real model, um, and you know, h- hopefully that will encourage uh, pe- people to um, to see it that way. But in terms of why is it important that we actually achieve uh, more gender diversity? I, I I think that's clear. I've it wasn't always clear to me, but again over time I've come to see absolutely the benefit. Of having women in decision-making roles particularly on boards or management teams because they see things differently um, and bring a just a different approach to things so uh, and and of course to have more women at the top you need to have more women at all levels that come before that and so very very important especially um, in an industry like the FinTech industry which is of course Uh, heavily focused on the tech part of FinTech uh, and we all know the difficulties of um, of trying to attract women into that and I think it's a shame and what we mustn't do well I'd love to solve the actual women in technology itself problem but even if uh, or for so long as that proves tricky there are PR jobs there are legal jobs there are compliance jobs there's the COO job the CEO job and you don't have to be a coder are to do those, so spreading the word that it's possible, whatever your interest and passion.
0: So just because the industry has the name FinTech in it, you don't have to be, exactly. you don't have to do
1: the tech. I'm no good at coding either. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> so, um, there you go, journalism. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think the future looks like for women
0: in the industry? Obviously, we I would imagine you'd say we're moving in the right direction, even yeah. if we're not there yet.
1: I think it 's extremely positive because awareness I think is really uh, awareness of the issue and consensus around the benefits that diversity bring I, I think is very high at the moment and certainly higher than i 've ever known it and I think um, I think the men in our lives have um, you know, an obligation to step up and help and i 'll tell you a story about that in a moment, but I think we also as women have an obligation to help ourselves and perhaps just a small story that demonstrates both those things. At Hogan novels. we are immersed in training, um, particularly as women, to understand that we don't, on average, push ourselves forward. We don't like to take risks because we don't like to fail. We do like to appear perfect, and we don't like to appear bossy. And when you add all those things up, they can really manifest themselves as a tendency towards uh, shrinking back and holding back.
0: Uh, this can be an unpopular point of view and phrase without the delicacy that Rachel uses it can start to sound like putting the blame back on women for not standing up for themselves but there's also some truth in it and while it was encouraging to hear that this aspect is being addressed I couldn't help but wonder what was being done to address the underlying causes why do we not on average put ourselves or take risks or ultimately get into tech and how could the men in our lives help Rachel had a prime example of how this could be done let's go back to her now
1: I was, uh, a lot of my work recently has been focused on Brexit and that has involved me speaking to the UK government extensively but also going on delegations to Brussels to uh, interact with the Brexit negotiators, members of the EU uh, 27 and so on. I'm frequently the only woman in our delegation and occasionally I'm the only woman in the room and even if the meeting is established for me to report on a piece of work that I have personally conducted and no one else in the room has I find myself entering the room going straight to the end of the table in other words the least prominent seat so with my 25 years worth of self confidence and with my report clutched under my arm I go and sit at the end of the table rather than in the middle and I owe it to people to stop doing that. Um, But interestingly, what did it take for me to stop doing that? We had a new member of our team uh, join, who was a young um, chap who noticed that I was doing that. And so he took it upon himself to always enter the meeting room first and grab the chair right in the middle in front of the most important person on the other side. And if any of the other men tried to sit in the chair, he would say, no, Rachel is sitting here. And he would make me go and sit there. So it's in ways, even little ways like that, that men can play their part,
0: and women have to back themselves as well. Absolutely, that, that joint responsibility. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. So focusing on kind of Brexit, where do you sort of see the, the future of financial services going, and how much do you think Brexit will kind of have an impact on that?
1: Um, I think that's a difficult question to say with any degree of certainty because we've had uh, limited. Um, I guess right now it's kind of hard to call politically, politically. Yeah. So, I mean, the issues for the fintech community, but, uh, the financial services community as a whole, but particularly fintech, I think, be- because the UK was so attractive to the fintech community prior to Brexit because of our really energised industry. I think the FCA and Project Innovate and the regulatory sandbox, the government's approach, Innovate Finances, amazing work, not just with women, uh, with the industry across the board. So I think lots of people chose the UK to come and establish their business. And there were many um, attractions, I think, that FinTech companies need many things, some of which the traditional players don't need so much of. So I would say the three things are access to talent, and that's a common issue. Um, I think funding, access to funding, uh, that was an issue before Brexit, I think that might remain an issue, it'd be good to solve that. Um, But also the access to the passport to the single market, so the ability to be based in the UK, but to sell your products to retail consumers or others across Europe without having to have multiple licenses has been a, a key factor Uh, in attracting entities to set up here, but also businesses to want to sell to customers in the UK. And without any kind of a deal on Brexit, that passport will automatically cease. And what that will mean is that in order to service the whole of Europe, you will in fact need two entities, one based in London for the UK, sorry, London, the UK, uh, obviously anywhere in the UK, to service the UK market and one base somewhere in the EU27 uh, to service Europe more generally. I don't. It's not a sort of linear thing, but that's going to give you roughly double capital mm-hmm. um, requirements and also the costs of relocation. It's difficult to see how there's any upside to that structure. Yeah. So, um, in a nutshell, we've been working very hard to propose a solution to the retention of passporting. Uh, to continue to allow fintech tech communities either to come here and sell into Europe or to be in Europe and to sell into the UK in as frictionless way as possible. We are in phase one of the negotiations and so no negotiation we know can happen on that until phase two. But we have had the opportunity to make initial presentations both to the UK government, as I said, and also to Brussels, uh, where I now sit, obviously, in the middle of the table. Um, and uh, those have been going very positively. We've had very limited pushback so far, so I'm hopeful uh, that on that aspect at least, uh, we will, we will um, be able to agree something positive. Fantastic, so challenging times ahead for
0: fintech, but there are some positives to look out for as well. Yeah. Okay, so final question. Um, what careers advice would you give anyone entering the industry right now, particularly female?
1: I think two things. Um, perhaps one particular to, to being female, which is, I couldn't have put it better than you did earlier, which is, back yourself. Uh, it's interesting. i had ne- never even heard of that expression until my daughter, who is 21, um, says it all the time, both about herself, I must back myself, but also about me, you must back yourself. And I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it is great, and it will be great if men back us more and continue to support us, and I genuinely hope that happens. Um, but it would be a massive derogation of our own personal responsibility if we don't try harder to back ourselves. So I think that would, um, that would probably be the main bit. Uh, the, the other bit that I think is a bit more general is I think it's quite easy to sort of come to work and think, oh, no, that big project that I wanted that was going to be awarded went to the person in the room down the corridor uh, or in the new open plan area or on floor nine, as we now have. Um, but I really think that you know, every day brings a new opportunity, and to not be downhearted, continue to be positive and not see that as a failure, but an opportunity to get a bigger, better project uh, is the advice I'd give to anybody. Great
0: advice. Back yourself and look for the opportunities. Yeah. OK, Rachel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks to Rachel there. Some really interesting perspectives. And the biggest takeaway for me personally is the view that as women, we need to back ourselves more it's just as important for a woman to back herself to take center stage as it is for the center stage to be offered to her. Next up, I spoke to four fantastic women with huge amounts of experience in the fintech sector. Wendy Jefferson, co-founder and chief behavioral specialist at Nasdaq Cybernetics, Adija Tejani, director of marketing at Token Inc., Sophie Balashevsky, head of innovation at Lloyd's Banking Group, and Min Tio, VP of finance at YoYo Wallet. I asked them all about their background. Some had been in fintech for a long time, others were experienced in their field but new to the industry. And we talked about their roles, where the industry is heading, and what advice they give to people starting their careers in the fintech sector. Let's hear from them now. So welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Uh, My name's Laura Watkins and I am joined by Wendy Jefferson, uh, co-founder and Chief Behavioural Specialist at NASDAQ uh, Cybernetics. Welcome to Fintech Insider. Thanks for joining us on the show. Pleasure. Um, So first up, could you tell us uh, about what you do and what your company does and uh, how you came to co-found it in the first place?
2: Yes, sure. There's quite a long story behind that. Um, Mm -hmm. So yes, now Nasdaq Cybernetics um, acquired actually only in the mid-September. So we're really having gone from startup four years ago. Mm -hmm. Actually, the company started slightly earlier than that. But there's a few changes along the way. to now being part of a massive organisation. But actually, Nasdaq's one of the oldest fintechs out there. So it's a really exciting time to be with them. Um, And the company started out really looking at financial decision making and how can you make that better. And so my co-founder is ex-fund manager and we have the best technologists on board. We have, I bring behavioural science to understand how people make decisions. And all of that gets baked into designing products that people can use. And that gets used either to improve decision making actually around finance, mm-hmm. but also for compliance to look at those decisions and making sure that they're doing it in the right way. Um, risk managers to also look at the same data set, so It's reusing data as well um, to make sure they're getting real value out of that data. and Again, understanding how people are taking decisions. And the um, acquisition by NASDAQ is a phenomenal decision for us. They could really see the value that we were bringing um, so I, I kind of see it as a, almost a reverse merger in that we've acquired a fantastic team who know what they're doing, they understand the industry, they understand the client base, they understand the technology, they understand the challenges of being what, trying to do what we're doing. And totally open to supporting the way we want to do it. So it's interesting times.
0: Okay, so that's fantastic. So you've gone from being a fairly small startup yeah. on your way up to joining one of the biggest companies in yes. the world. Yeah, fifteen people or they've to three thousand. Yeah, depending yeah, on how you look at it. We've joined each <laughs> other. <laughs> so what what does that kind of offer you that you didn't have before? Apart from scale. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, scale
2: um, is one thing, clearly is a great name. I'd like to say that we'd established a pretty good name for ourselves and what we do and how we go about it. Um, so Cool Reputation has joined phenomenal um, industry respect actually for NASDAQ. Um, so that gets you in a lot of doors. Uh, And that helps getting through procurements easy, infosec, all of these requirements that are really hard for small companies to get through. Although we'd managed it, it's still hard and time-consuming. There's now a ton of people who can do that for us, and that's you know, so that's phenomenal. We can just get there faster. Still doing what we want to do,
0: but just get there faster. It makes everything a little bit easier for you, I guess, having that that backing. Yeah. Okay. So take take me back to the the beginning. Uh, What kind of was the catalyst that led you to co-found the company, what was the gap in the market that you thought you were okay. aiming to fill? So this is where it goes back quite
2: a long time. And uh, various people co- you know, come into the story at different times actually. Um, but 17 odd years ago actually, I was an in-house lawyer in the pharmaceutical industry. And law is great. It's about risk-taking and decision-making, and it's about using, you know, interpreting rules to the business and helping people understand how to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit I loved about it. It was an interesting industry. Um, and trying to find solutions to keep the business going in what it wanted to do was good. I wasn't passionate about law in and of itself. And at the time, my brother was a fund manager. And he was talking about the decision-making process in finance, the fact he was reading psychology books then, pre-Kahneman and the Nobel Prize. In fact, there's been three Nobel Prizes since in behavioral science. Um, he was, so he was looking for some kind of guidance and help. And it, so really, he started it all saying, what we need is data, technology, analytics, and um, somebody who understands people and the behavioral science around what we do so that we don't respond to the emotional pressures when you know, the, the chips are down. So at that point, um, I thought, actually, I could really get into this. I went back to university to study psychology. Well actually had third child first, in, in, in the middle of this, their daughter, <laughs> as we're talking about women, <laughs> um, and went back to university with this in mind to study financial decision-making. How can you understand what people do? Mm-hmm. So, retrained psychology, um, master, uh, degree, then a master's in business psychology to apply it at work. And at that point, I then joined the company that my brother had started with my co-founder, Taras, because they wanted to get on the data analytic journey. And again, there was the growing demand in the asset management industry, which is really starting to crescendo now about how do you prove you've got skill? How do you differentiate yourself from other people? Um, sadly, you know, part of the journey, he died very suddenly, my brother died very suddenly, um, just as I was finishing retraining, um, but carried on the research that I was doing and tested it out with Taris, who built a trading game for me to, in my research. and. Um, yeah, so we took it from there that we could work together and actually is phenomenal marriage of technology, subject matter experts of finance and behavioural science that has got us to where we are now. Wow,
0: okay, so that is a huge amount of, of background. <laughs> I told you it's a bit of story. Um, but, but that's <laughs> a fantastic range of experience, like you really uh, sort of backed yourself, I guess, to go all the way back to, to training. And, and what was that like, going all the way back to the beginning, going back to university while having a family, trying to start a company? That's a lot of plates you were spinning. Right yeah,
2: and <laughs> um, yeah, who'd, who'd have thought I'd be sit, sitting here now? Nobody knows where you're going to go. But then, Actually, it works Fits fitted really well, because nobody is questioning whether you're going to turn up at university. You're there because you want to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting sitting in, in a room of people who were quite a lot younger than me. But I was there, and I loved the subject. Yes. And that's where I wanted to be. And the holidays matched the kids' holidays. And when they were sick, they came with me and saw what university was like and sat in the back. And they sat in the experiment rooms with me. and So they've been on the journey with me, actually. Um, so it actually worked really well.
0: Wow, so it's actually got quite a, a sort of personal history to it as well, like yeah. the kind of company's history.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think you anyone starts a company and isn't personally invested. Actually.
0: No, <laughs> but alongside that's doing curious. it with a young family and, and your brother and, yeah. you know. Yes, and
2: actually, you know, so Terrace and my brother were great mates, as is a number of other people who've come in to join the company. So actually, it's nice that they
0: remember him and they talk about his
2: legacy. And, so that's great. So, behavioral
0: science is kind of the passion behind the the data, would you say? Yes, absolutely. Yes,
2: because actually, you know, lots of people are looking at data. Sometimes you have to look at it differently and understand the people part of the equation. And that's a bit that most people seem to miss. You know, people talk about banks and organizations. Well, the buildings don't do anything. It's the people in them that actually, that is what conduct is. It's the activities that people do, the things that people do. So, thinking really hard actually How do people think? How do they use this information? It's so important if you're going to design and shape the data in
0: the right way. Yeah, so data in itself, in and of itself, is more or less useless without the decision making that's guided by the data. Yes, yeah. And that takes multiple skill sets. Yes, and that's that's where the behavioral science comes into its own, I would imagine. Yes. Fantastic. And so now that you're with uh, NASDAQ, what what are the next steps for for you and for the company?
2: Yeah, Um, so as I say actually, it's a phenomenal opportunity for us because they are totally supportive of the way that we think about it. They um, hugely support a behavioral science approach to tackling these challenges that the whole industry is facing and talking about and trying to work out. Um, Agree that, think it's the way forward to unlocking some of those problems alongside all of the other skill sets you need, the technologists, the data scientists, the sales marketing, the whole lot. Um, so, yeah, they're really on board with us and how we're going forward. So it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity.
0: Fantastic. And then final question, uh, what does the future of fintech look like, in your opinion?
2: Really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. There's so much. I mean, actually, it's one of those things that you, you look at any other industry without knowing a little bit about it and think, oh, well, obviously that runs brilliantly and then you look under the hood and realize gosh it's not quite as slick as I thought it might be and there's huge amounts of stuff that people still do manually it's not about replacing them but you could take away the stuff that we're not actually really very good at as people and that, you know so that that pace of innovation and the opportunities for making everything just more effective and efficient um, is huge and there are so many people coming in to try and the technology is in a state now so when my brother came up with the idea Technology wasn't in a state to be able to cope with data. People weren't in a, in a mindset to let people have data, whereas that's totally changed. Organizations are saying, there's other people out there thinking really, really hard about this bit of the puzzle. I will let them do it and I will buy it. So it's, it's shi- and that's shifted in the last
0: four years. Yeah. So I think it's a huge opportunity. I guess that's FinTech's speciality, like taking one bit of an industry and doing it really, really well. Yes, exactly. And, and data is hugely important to all yeah. that, all of that, especially um, in the next year or so with open banking. It's all going to, it's all going to change, yes. uh, arguably for the better, yes. with consumers' access to their data and everything that goes with that.
2: And that actually, that's what's really important is making it for the better and really thinking hard about the end user and how does this affect the man on the street, man or woman on the street. And you know, so we sit in front of asset managers. And it actually, it's great to meet. There's some phenomenal people in, in finance. You know, they get slated a lot. But you sit down, they really worry about the people's pensions that they're investing, that people have worked hard to put in their pot. So there's a huge amount of responsibility. And I think it's on all of us to really think carefully about everything that we do and what the ultimate
0: impact is out there in the world. Agreed. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us, Wendy Jefferson. Pleasure. We wanted to let you know that if you love this show, how about seeing it live? We're going to be at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam this June and we're bringing Fintech Insider live with us. We'll be bringing the podcast to the main stage right before the drinks reception, and you can be there. Sign up for tickets now. Go to europe.money2020.com forward slash register and use discount code 1811FS. That's 1811FS to get 200 euros off the ticket price. Uh, I'm here at Innovate Finance's Women in Fintech event, and I am joined by Adija Tijani, Director of Marketing at Token. Uh, Inc. Is that right? So uh, thank you for joining us on Fintech Insider. Um, thank you for having me. You are very welcome. Could we start off with a bit about you, a bit about your background?
3: Uh, so I joined the fintech industry in 2013. Um, before that I was actually in the edtech industry. So I've been working in the London uh, tech industry officially mm-hmm. for seven years, unofficially for about ten.
0: So you were here before
3: it was cool? Uh, yes, I was here before it was cool, but um, I think that part of it becoming cool was actually really important in order to sort of build the momentum to push mm-hmm. it across um, different boardrooms, tables, and sort of let um, financial services companies understand the importance of technology uh, to their businesses. Um, I spent the first, I spent from 2013. To just last year, I was um, head of ecosystem development at Level 39 um, and I helped set it up. So I looked after um, the programs that were run for the startups, recruiting startups from all over the world, um, and also making sure that they were uh, happy in what they did. And working very closely with the owners the canary wolf group
0: well. oh fantastic so our parent company 11 fs actually started at level 39 yeah so yeah we're one of your babies so to speak
3: <laughs> <laughs> i have many i've heard they're not all alive and kicking still oh, which okay. is
0: classic in startup life well we're definitely still uh, kicking so <laughs> uh, and so now you're with token inc could you tell us a bit more about that so uh token
3: is a fintech company from california uh, founded by Steve Kirsch, who is a Silicon Valley uh, exec, this is his seventh technology company. Um, he really f- saw the opportunity when it came to open banking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are headquartered in San Francisco, but we have an office in London. And we have seen the opportunity when it comes to open banking and PSD2 across the European market. So actually this year, I think I spent more time in Europe than in London. Mm-hmm. Um, as we have been working on making sure that uh, the open banking understanding across different regions is is, um, bigger and better, and also to kind of make sure that the market understands what the opportunity is when it comes to uh, open banking. So open banking has really been driven by a piece of regulation called PSD2, Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a PSD1, now there's PSD2, um, and, it really is about opening up the way that um, you have access to uh, account information and other such services, uh, which will bring lots of opportunities across the ecosystem. So, Token actually, before when we came on the show, we hadn't closed our Series A, I don't think. But in, I joined pre Series A actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's always a harder time to join a company. Mm-hmm. Um, but in April, we closed our series a round of 18.5 million from octopus ventures which is a vc here in the uk eqt ventures which is a vc from sweden and one of our clients at op bank which is from finland
0: nice okay so token is obviously passed its first round it's on the it's on the up like what is the the kind of elevator pitch for token in a nutshell exactly what does it do uh, so token enables
3: uh, banks to comply with PSD2, but it also enables banks to go beyond uh, open banking and to leverage open banking in a very strategic way.
0: Okay, so you're kind of like laying the groundwork for when open banking comes to make sure both consumers uh, and banks actually understand what the opportunities are. Yes, and our our software enables them to do that. Great. Okay, so you are Director of Marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what kind of marketing do you do for Token? What's your strategies? Um, So I
3: would say that uh, one of the things that you understand about FinTech is that it's quite networked, so Mm -hmm. um, having a strong network across Europe is really important when it comes to -to go-to-market strategy. So we have been doing a lot of local market um, events and speaking opportunities, which have obviously also led to different um, sales opportunities where uh, different clients from banks to merchants uh, want to talk to us about how we can help them with their open banking challenges. Um, And I think that 2018 will be really key for open banking as the regulation uh, comes into effect and different organisations from around Europe will be um, taking it to, to full advantage, but I think that this is also an opportunity for beyond Europe. So I first spoke about open banking in two thousand and fifteen um, in Singapore at CybOS, which is a finance conference, mm-hmm. um, and I think that um, I just returned from CybOS that so was in Toronto in twenty this year, yeah. and the conversation about open banking and APIs have actually moved on, and it's become a global conversation. So there are open banking initiatives that are happening in Japan, um, in India, um, starting in places like Canada. Yeah. And so I think that what's happening, everyone is watching what's happening in Europe very um, carefully to understand how they might be able to sort of leverage and also take the best lessons from the European market to implement in their own market. So it's a very global opportunity.
0: So at Europe a kind of the first pass and then the rest of the world can take learnings. So is that the, um, the approach I think,
3: the, I think so. Europe sometimes doesn't get as much credit as we could for some of the pioneering inventions that we have uh, come up with and the pioneering way we think about um, technology. Um, however, if you look at other industries, um, their other industries have been using APIs to solve a number of different problems. For a long time, and so for to apply that approach within financial services is really important. If you look at healthcare or education, mm-hmm. um, they have been using an external API approach um, for quite a long time, and I think that it will make processes. Uh, much easier in organisations, but it also uh, improves the customer experience, because ultimately um, having better customer experience and allowing customers to do what they want with their financial information um, is something that's important. And so that also includes corporate customers, uh, like businesses, Mm -hmm. to also um,
0: customers, retail customers like um, yourself and myself. It's really interesting that a company that was founded in San Francisco is predominantly interested in open banking, which is going to hit Europe first. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Was the plan always to kind of uh, tap into open banking as it rolled out across the world? Was that so a long-term I think goal? That,
3: um, it was based on where the market opportunity okay. was, and as all technology companies are, we, we go to where the demand and the client requests come from, and also what fits well into our strategic roadmap. Um, we are a global company. so. Um, we have many languages spoken in our team um, and we do take an approach where it's important to think that if something is happening in Europe it will happen in other places it's just a matter of time yeah. um, if you if you for example look at Google search um, you can get a Google search in many other languages from all around the world Mm -hmm. Um, you can if you look at the BBC for example you can get the BBC in multiple different languages so uh, trends are global at the moment and they'll continue to be so um, over time and we think that will be the same with open banking
0: fantastic okay so final question Uh, what does the uh, fintech industry look like in the future in your opinion where do you think the industry is going overall Um, I think
3: that there'll be more um, consolidation and competition As new um, entrants that are not in financial services actually enter the financial services uh, market, Uh, so companies that already exist but in a different tech area.
0: Okay, interesting. Um,
3: I think that that will happen. You're seeing it with different tech companies having elements of payments Mm -hmm. um, in what they're doing. Um, I also think that the fintech industry is here to stay, but I also think that this is the fintech industry uh, 2.0, as the fintech industry isn't necessarily new. Some of the first um, computer technology was actually bought firstly by banks um, in the code-breaking days. If you go to Bletchley Park, um, which is the home of British code-breaking here in the UK, you will be able to see the machines that um, banks were buying in order to help them with their help with technology to increase their processes and to improve what they were doing. I think that sometimes the fintech industry does get um, a bit of slack when it's like, oh my God, everything's shiny and new. Yes, there are elements that are shiny and new, but we can definitely take lessons from from the past in order to make sure that um, the future that we have um, is stronger and better for everybody involved. Um, And that's what open banking is supposed to be.
0: Brilliant. That's a fantastic perspective. Thank you very much for joining us on Fintech Insider. Thank you. So uh, I am joined by Sophie Balashevsky, Head of Innovation at Loins Banking Group. Welcome to Fintech Insider and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So um, we are at the Innovate Finance Women in Fintech uh, event this evening, so obviously Lloyds are a sponsor of the event, Uh, but let's start with you. So uh, let's start with your background. How did you get into finance, banking and then ultimately innovation?
4: Yeah, so um, I actually hadn't worked in financial services before I worked at Lloyds Banking Group. Um, I've worked for large tech companies um, like IBM. I've worked for a cybersecurity startup. but I haven't actually ever worked in financial services. And I was at the post office at the time and I saw a job go up on LinkedIn that was looking for someone to be head of innovation, culture, and events. Um, And everything in the job description I had done before, it was a kind of real mishmash of sort of learning and development, um, culture, communications, campaigns. um, And I thought, actually, I've I've got to apply for this. Um, And then I met Claire Calma-Jane, Who's my line manager? Who many people in the fintech world know very well. Yeah, we we're, um, We we're, were aware of we had her on the podcast <laughs> before. <is>. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, I don't really say anymore. I had one interview with her, and I was like, right, do I want to work at the, you know, in the UK's biggest bank? Yes. Um, do I want to shape the culture of the organisation? Absolutely. Um, did I think it was a challenge? Yep. Um, but it was definitely something I wanted to be part of, um, and the fact that it was in financial services and. The, the, w- the way that we are in financial service at the moment, there's so much change going on. Um, there's exciting things from the regulators, from small organisations, from large organisations. I just thought, actually, definitely somewhere I wanted to be.
0: Ah, oh, fantastic. That's really interesting as well that you took the leap. Like, can, where were you before? I was at like, the post office, actually. Were you actually, mm, Okay, mm, that is quite mm. a, like, a different organisation, yeah. I
4: imagine. It is different, but at the same time, they're both... Um, I guess, historical, Mm -hmm. iconic organizations that are kind of in the fabric of the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, So although they're sort of totally different industries, um, you know, Post Office does have post office money. um, So there's a little bit of a crossover over there, but um, actually some of the challenges were quite similar.
0: Okay, and so they're, as you said, they're mm-hmm. both like very uh, old organisations mm-hmm. within the UK. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, how mm-hmm. do you then foster a kind of culture of mm-hmm. innovation in a in a company as, as large as yeah. Lloyd's?
4: Yeah, so um, my, my biggest piece of advice would be to um, start very small. Um, so we started off with things called digital espressos, which is a little bit like this actually. It was, you know, on a Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, we'd invite some people from our network to come in and talk about something they're passionate about so whether it was you know blockchain pen testing data content marketing whatever it might be Um, but just talk for 20 minutes passionately about it um, so that we could start to inspire people to think about different things Um, and that grew from you know a group of sort of 10 20 people to now you know over 100 people join every Tuesday and we live stream it across the organization for anyone else to dial in as well um, so I think for a large organization, you can't just go with a, you know, how are we going to change the culture of the whole organization? really started with, let's bring the outside world in first. Let's inspire people to think differently. Um, and then we looked at, okay, so what sort of experiences can we create for people? So we constantly talk about the fact that we are in an era of accelerated change, right? Mm-hmm. And that we need people to move faster, to be more agile, to take different sort of approaches to the work that they're doing. But what does that? Mean? For some people, if you're just hearing it for the first time, what does it actually mean? So when I come in tomorrow morning, would you want me to do differently? Um, so we started to create experiences for our colleagues to help them get first-hand understanding of what things like you know rapid prototyping or making sure that you're validating your ideas with your customers. Um, so creating experiences for them has really been helpful as
0: well. Okay, so it's sort of like. Show, not tell, is what, what yeah. you're going for. Yeah,
4: I'd actually say I'm going for fill over show and tell, actually. It's more about if someone, um, you know, even in a hackathon, you know, 48 hours, you're going to come up with a digital prototype, but you at the beginning of the 48 hours, you don't even have an idea. <laughs> if people can see what they can achieve in 48 hours, it gives them the confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts to make them feel comfortable as well. So we always make people work in teams where you have someone who's business focused, you know, you have tech, you have design. And actually having the experience of working with all those different people makes you have a lot more confidence when you go in and you want to develop a new product or service to
0: understand where everyone comes from. So like a level of inclusivity and absolutely. empowerment as well. Yeah, That's absolutely. Really interesting. So how, so? innovation is obviously really important to yeah. the industry as a whole, would yeah. you say? And then and growing digital skills is obviously really important. Mm-hmm across the board, so it doesn't just sit in one, you know, there's the innovation part of the industry and it you know, doesn't touch anywhere else.
4: And I actually think um, it's across all organisations, right? It doesn't matter what industry you are or what shape or size you are. Mm -hmm. Innovation's always been important. I think it's maybe heightened now because of the pace of change, but organisations have always had to innovate. They've always had to think about what their customers want next and find different ways of getting that service or product to them. Um, And it's something that, you know, people at Lloyds Bank, we all have to do it. So whether we're in risk, um, we're in audit or communications, you know, how, how are we communicating to our customers nowadays? That's completely changed. We all need to innovate. I think probably what we are in our innovation team is a little bit of an accelerator for that. Um, and we help people if if they if they want um, to try something new and we are kind of there to help and support them Okay,
0: great. So it's like a company-wide thing, but mm-hmm. you guys are kind of leading the charge yes. as it were. Yeah, fantastic yeah. Okay, so I read that FinTech and collaborations are very very important to you yes. and you kind of launched 14 FinTech partnerships yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah,
4: absolutely So, um, you know, I think collaboration again has, has always been very important to organizations and at the moment within Lloyd's you New know, our campaign is all around helping Britain prosper so for us it's even more important that we're there supporting our ecosystem so within the innovation team you know we work very closely with some of the accelerator programs so Accenture Innovation Lab, uh, Startup Bootcamp who relaunched today as Rainmaking CoLab on their FinTech um, program which we're really excited about um, but we also work with organizations like Nesta um, and we have created digital champions um, across the UK um, You know. I don't really believe that any one organization can do everything on their own. Mm-hmm. And an organization of the size of lawyers, we should be there supporting the communities, and we should be supported small support businesses. Um, so we do a lot with FinTech founders as well. So we have a mentoring program um, that we run at the moment. Um, but most of what we're doing is actually just about supporting the ecosystem, mm-hmm. because we all need to be successful in this ecosystem if it's going to work. Um, so, that's kind so of what of what approach. does
0: the the kind of future of fintech look mm-hmm. like, and, and where does Lloyd's sit within mm-hmm.
4: that? Um, great question. <laughs> um, you know, I think you know I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not going to be able to predict everything. But I do think um, that collaboration is going to be ever more important. If I think if I was, maybe perhaps if I was doing this interview sort of three and a half four years ago. Um, There was a real kind of compete or die type mentality and and I I found that the conversations on both sides from large organisations and small were um, were kind of less mature. I think now both understand a little bit more where the other one's coming from and therefore the conversations are much better um, and I think that will continue, um, especially with PSD2 coming and I think as a whole within the sector we'll see a lot more collaborations.
0: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, yeah, we're hearing that a lot across um, the industry. Yeah. Like, um, it's no longer a competition. It's more kind of opening up of perspectives and partnering, and that yeah. seems to be the way that the industry is heading. I think is, so. I mm-hmm. guess you're already ahead of the game if you're already partnering up uh, at Lloyd's. Um, as we're at the Women in FinTech mm-hmm. uh, event, what do you think the future of the industry looks like in terms of addressing the gender imbalance that is currently in place mm-hmm. in the FinTech? Sector and finance as a whole. Yeah, I mean to be honest, you know,
4: it's it's quite difficult and I like I said I've worked in um, Tech companies. I've worked in you know with the defense sector as well and and all of those um, have some challenges I think for me one of the key things is about offering flexibility Mm -hmm. Um, I have came, you know, I came back from maternity leave this year. Um, I took a year out um, and I was able to come back and work three days a week Um, And I've just gone out and advertised and actually recruited a job share who'll be starting towards the end of this year. I think the more opportunities that we provide for people that they can come back to work on their terms, I think uh, the the better we'll be and we'll see less of a gender imbalance. Um, But I think it's the flexibility for me that is key if we're going to tackle it.
0: Okay, and then final question. Um, What careers advice would you give to anyone, particularly women, looking to join the industry right now? I think one of the things um, that I would say is for people sort of
4: starting their career is to kind of explore a bit. So, you know, try out different sectors, try out different types of organisations, but make sure you work for an organisation that is the right culture of fit for you as well. Um, I think you need to be able to work in an organisation where you can feel yourself um, and that you can you know, be a leader or work in a team and do that very authentically. Um, so I, I guess my advice would be to shop around a little bit yeah. um, and you, know, you don't have to, you, know, you no longer really have to pick the career that you're going to do, do you? You can, yeah, that's you can right. change around quite quickly. And actually if someone came to me and they had experience of working in the public and the private sector and large and small organizations, then they're better for it. So experiment, jump around a bit, um, and you know learn some different things in the evening I uh, on maternity leave I did a drama class um, and it was really you know, it was really eye-opening I hadn't done that before it put me out of my comfort zone and I, I, I learned a lot actually and got a lot of confidence for it so try some new things as well
0: brilliant that's really great advice uh, Sophie thank you very much for joining us on FinTech Insider thank you for having me so I am joined by Min Teo, VP of Finance at YoYo Wallet at the uh, Innovate Finance Women in Fintech event. Uh, thank you for joining us on Fintech Insider. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's start with, with YoYo Wallet. Um, could you tell me a bit about it what, it, what it is, what it does for any of our listeners that are not familiar?
5: Absolutely. So in a nutshell, uh, YoYo Wallet is a UK-based fintech company. What we do is we provide mobile payment and automated loyalty solutions and we form uh, the relationship platform between retailers and consumers. So for retailers, the value proposition is that we allow them, this channel, to understand their customers better and their behavioural preferences and to launch personalised campaigns that are tailored towards their consumers for the consumers, uh, the value proposition is quite straightforward. Uh, Everyone will remember those pesky uh, stamp cards and, you know, points, uh, little paper points programs that they would carry around. Our mission is to eliminate everything and make sure that it's all one synchronous transaction between payment and loyalty.
0: Okay, so like when you used to get a a coffee in Costa, for example, and they give you a a thing that you stamp your,
5: you know, to get get 10 and you get a free coffee, is that the kind of Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So now all you have to do is uh, scan your phone on a scanner that's on the till, and you collect Mm -hmm. uh, stamps, and you also collect points, and you pay at the same time. So right now we're in about 1,500 acceptance points in the UK. We have about 750,000 registered users, uh, and you know, Cafe Nero is one of our biggest clients on the high street with 650 locations in the UK.
0: Oh wow! Okay. So, and then what does that benefit the, uh, the retailer again? How does that work for them? Is it the data that you collect or mm-hmm. the financial information of the customer? Like, I understand what's in it for me, if I yeah. was to like, you know, so I don't have to carry around a million uh, little pieces of paper that say I bought 10 coffees mm-hmm. or whatever, but for Cafe Nero or whoever, what
5: is the benefit to them? Absolutely, such a great question. I think for the retailer, it's a competitive market out there. Mm-hmm. Now consumers are super savvy. They have a ton of information um, you know, and they're very fussy shoppers. So for retailers, it's become increasingly important for them to be very intentional about their customer engagement and customer loyalty strategies. Mm-hmm. And we provide a mobile first way of doing that. Uh, and very much like you mentioned, the data piece is absolutely critical for them to continue operating, uh, you know, in the high street and delivering value to their customers. So, getting very valuable data, basket data on you know, what consumers are buying, when they're mm-hmm. buying, how often they're buying, if they buy X, will they buy Y? Uh, and, you know, driving insights from their customers is very critical for them uh, to, you know, in terms of their marketing promotions, uh, in terms of any kind of uh, optimization strategies that they're looking to pursue. Uh, so this is really in the heart and soul of what we do, provide them with insights that they can use to make their business better.
0: Oh, brilliant. Okay. So, and then as VP of finance, what do you do specifically
5: at YoYo Wallet? I like to say that you know, in a startup, you kind of do a little bit of everything yeah, <laughs> depending on the day. <laughs> uh, but specifically for me, I focus a lot on fundraising. So our capital raising activities, any type of corporate development activities. Um, you know, we just raised a Series B fundraising of twelve million pounds back in June, and we're you know constantly uh, like on the uh, on the lookout for any type of uh, capital opportunities that might be compelling to us. Um, and also, you know, I build and run the finance team within YoYo Wallet, you know, so anything from, uh, you know, uh, bookkeeping to accounts payable uh, to, um, you know, b- providing the management reports. is really just making sure that the company is functioning well. Okay,
0: so you're a busy lady behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps
5: it exciting.
0: So uh, focusing on you, what, what's kind of your background? How did you get into to kind of FinTech and, and YoYo Wallet?
5: Yeah, um, you know, I actually am a little bit of a job switcher. I like to call myself a former finance refugee. I come from the traditional world of finance. Uh, I have uh, seven years of investing experience, previously uh, focusing on North America and Asia, and then in Europe doing private equity and credit investing. Uh, I joined Yoyo Wallet about, you know, two years ago. Uh, You know, after seven years of investing, mainly because I wanted to understand more on the operational side, uh, you know, through my investing career, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of inspirational CEOs and CFOs and COOs who had built incredible businesses. uh, And I really want to learn how to do that. Um, So it's been a fantastic two years, and I am very excited to keep building the UK digital economy.
0: It sounds like you've got a huge range of experience to bring to the role as well, (laughs) with everyone that you've met uh, in your previous experience. Um, if we, I've been doing a little bit of research into mm-hmm. you uh, and for the background of this interview. Um, tell me about Tech for Good. I read that in in your kind of bio and your your involvement with that, and specifically Tech Refugees. Could you tell us more about that?
5: Yeah. So Tech Refugees is. Um, you know, I am a trustee for Tech Refugees, which is a global nonprofit that seeks to use technology to empower refugees. Uh, you know, we organize hackathons and events and forge corporate partnerships. Uh, you know, with people who want to use technology to make uh, you know either refugee aid better or help uh, foster social inclusion of migrants and refugees. Uh, how we do this is that you know we basically have galvanized a global community of people who want to help. So these people could be NGOs, they could be volunteers, they could be philanthropists, and a lot of times they're refugees themselves who want to have platforms that their story can be told and heard and shared within the community. Um, And, you know, by galvanizing this community uh, and making it relevant for local communities, we're really creating an ecosystem that's welcoming to refugees. Currently, we have, you know, 25 chapters around the globe, including Melbourne, London, Paris. Uh, We just organized our uh, global summit in Paris in October, where there are 600 people in attendance, uh, talking all things tech and refugee aid. Uh, so, you know, it's a movement that's growing uh, and we are looking to expand further into North America.
0: Wow, that's really fascinating. And like, how long has it been going to grow to a kind of six hundred
5: thousand summit? So, it was actually, it's pretty young. Uh, we started in September 2015 and kind of by accident. Uh, so, Mike Butcher, who is, uh, you know, the senior editor of TechCrunch Europe, uh, kind of, you know, took a look around and. Figured Well, we have this right refugee crisis that's all over the news, everyone felt very, very, uh, you know, compelled by the picture of the little boy on the beach. But there was no official response from the tech community. Um, and if you look around, every single industry is being disrupted, and tech is becoming so important in, you know, every aspect of our lives. So where was the ref- re- response coming from the tech community? So he decided to organize a conference that you know put it together in five days, and 300 people showed up from the tech community. So definitely there was a lot of you know desire of people to help. Uh, they just didn't know how. Yeah. So we put tech refugees together and you know started uh, opening local chapters in major cities across the globe, mainly as a platform and as a channel for people to get involved and have a say uh, in their communities. Uh, you know especially you know in a in today's world where you know the politics can be quite polarizing and maybe might not reflect your personal beliefs this is an outlet for people to be welcoming and creating you know thinking about how to create a more inclusive society for all.
0: Wow that's really really interesting and like do you think it's really important for the the kind of tech industry to kind of give back you know because we kind of hear all these headlines about tech companies raising x amount of fundraising and this amount of uh, revenue etc like it's kind of refreshing to hear a kind of tech story that's going in a completely different direction to kind of enable those who Mm
5: -hmm.
0: kind of need the most help, I guess, and using tech to do that.
5: Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, tech is a tool. So tech can be used for good, tech can be used for bad. Um, You know, it depends on which side of the coin uh, you're looking at it. But you know, one thing for sure, like tech, there's tons of benefits that tech can bring to any industry in terms of providing access that previously wasn't there, delivering uh, scale economies, um, you know, making things cheaper, faster, more efficient. Uh, So I think, you know, as it relates to tech for good, like, it's it's just a matter of time before, you know, we start thinking about how can we make this sector more efficient. I think specifically as it relates to tech companies, uh, you know, the lowest common denominator, when you think about a CSR perspective, I think that's what millennials want. Like people want a brand that they can identify with, um, and as, you know, specifically to the refugee crisis. If you look at a lot of the companies that have been very vocal about it, say like Airbnb and Google, they're you know the companies that really have strong links to millennials. You haven't really heard a whole lot from say. I don't know banks or automobile companies that tend to be a bit more traditional, um, and it's just become, you know, increasingly critical for these companies to really, you know, um, convey that they care to their millennial consumer base. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of uh, the responsibility of the organization, there is a lot of discussion on it. Uh, I think one company that I really admire with regards to their policy on this is Salesforce where they have a one-one-one model, you know, they d- basically give a portion of the equity, portion of, the e- of their profit, and also a p- portion of employees' time uh, towards, uh, you know, social impact ventures and also the nonprofit space. And I think they're really leading the way that, you know, companies should aspire to operate.
0: Well, I didn't, I didn't actually mm-hmm. know that about Salesforce, but that's really, really interesting. Um, so bringing it back to kind of FinTech, and we are at a kind of Women in FinTech event, where do you sort of see the industry going as a whole? in the future, the fintech industry?
5: I think the fintech industry, I think when you think about its components, it's, you know, finance, and also technology. And I think it's a super interesting uh, intersection between, you know, sort of the traditional world of finance. So you know, you have all the banks and all the uh, more, you know, the old guard financial institutions, and you know, the up and comers being, you know, the disruptive fintechs. Uh, I think the path forward is definitely a collaborative one. Uh, there are a ton of, you know, great incubation programs and accelerators. I mean, BBVA is one of them that's very involved in this space. Um, and you know they're they're really like opening up their platforms uh, to for fintechs to collaborate with them on uh, regulation is also supportive of this with open banking and PSD two um, at the end of the day like you know I think it's our fiduciary responsibility as a fintech community to deliver more value to customers and think about how we can make our services more relevant for you know the future and it's going to require a cooperation between both banks and you know up and coming fintechs.
0: A partnership is key. Absolutely. Forward. Okay and then so final question, uh, what careers advice would you give to anyone that was about to start out in the financial services or fintech industry right now?
5: That's a great question. I think definitely, uh, you know, keep a very, very open mind because one thing is that change is constant in this industry uh, and it can be quite technical, it can be quite daunting, but you know, at the end of the day, the, I think it, there's a ton of innovation going on and, uh, you know, if you look at, say, a company like Stripe, like that was st- started by two very, very young brothers who didn't have any experience in financial services but brought, like, such a fresh idea. Uh, to the space, and now I've built like you know a billion-dollar company out of it. Um, I think people just need to learn about the new disruptive technologies and think about how they can just make the consumer value proposition more compelling.
0: That's a really good point and really great advice. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for joining us on Fintech Insiders.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> so that wraps up this International Women's Day Insight Show. We hope you enjoyed the show, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really love the show, don't forget to leave us a review. We'll have more insights for you very soon, and until then, goodbye.